Hello, 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 New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven. I am very excited to be with you. If you haven't joined Arts Respond before, thanks for being here. I'm Lucy Gelman, the editor of the Arts Paper, and uh, this is a collaboration between the Arts Council of Greater New Haven and WNHHLP and the New Haven Independent. My guests today are Patrick Dunn, Executive Director of the New Haven Pride Center and Juan Carlos Soto, or JC, Deputy Director, or The Law, at the New Haven Pride Center. Um, I've, I've also been told that I can refer to them as mom and dad intermittently throughout the show and may choose to do that depending on you know what direction the show is going in. Um, and so first of all, I just wanna welcome both of you to the show. You're two people who have made, uh, for me, the choice of living in New Haven a really joyful one. And I'm always very excited to see you when I'm either on my way to an assignment or on my way to my office. So, uh, so just thank you for, you know, being alive um, in, in New Haven. But of course, the, and we're going to get into this, the Pride Center has been a tremendous and growing resource in New Haven. So Patrick, first of all, I want to congratulate you because this Monday, August 1st, marked uh, the five-year mark that you were at the New Haven Pride Center. And that's, that's a big deal. It feels like 50 years sometimes to me. Um, Are you calling me old? <laughs> no, no, you're like, no, you're doing the Benjamin Button thing. You're actually getting younger. <laughs> it's no, it, it, it just feels like off. you've crammed in, you know, I like be, because of the nature of my job of arts reporting, I report on a lot of organizations, right? And uh, I will say it feels like you've crammed in so much more than five. And crammed is, sounds like violent and shoddy. So maybe that's not the right word. Um, but but you've just, it seems appropriate though. <laughs> you've done so much. Um, not to mention, we have been we're now in the third uh, calendar year of a global pandemic, right? And so you've just you've been making it happen and, and doing this work. And so I'm wondering if we can get in the the way back machine just for a minute, and if you can talk about what it was like, what what the Pride Center, which is 25 years old, going on its 26th year this November what it was like to come to this organization that was operating on a budget of $30,000 a year in August of 2017? Well, um, it was a lot of things. It was, I mean, first and foremost, it, it was it was terrifying to be completely honest. Um, I also really quickly found the photo you took of me. Um, so that is a reflection of how much hair I have lost because of this job. Uh, <laughs> But no, I, I, it was, it was really scary. I mean, it was, I, I was leaving a moderately well-paying, um, more close to moderate than well-paying nonprofit job and um, uh, taking a chance, uh, you know, when, when the center hired me, um, if I remember correctly, we had enough money in the bank account uh, for three paychecks. Um, and, and beyond that, there was no, no knowledge of where the money would come uh, to keep everything rolling. And, and so it really was a chance um, for, for anyone who, who did not read Lucy Gelman's quite extensive, very, very well written article about my tenure of coming to the center um, uh, five years ago. Um, the, the center had operated for 20 years as an all volunteer org and um, had existed as, as our founder, John Allen likes to say, as a clubhouse. So you, you, if you knew about it, you knew about it. If you didn't, it, you know, hopefully you found out about it. Um, and, and there was, you know, 
community things that happened in the space, but it, none of it was kind of organized. None of it was, um, you know, it was very stream of conscious, like the trans community needs to have a meeting. So here's our space. The, the, there's a protest happening today. So we all show up, you know, it was very, not even reactive, just very stream of consciousness style um, existence. And, um, you know, I started interviewing uh, about two years, a year and a half before I started. Um, and it was a, a quite a long process where we talked about vision and we talked about what the center could be. Um, but, but what really ultimately made everything possible is we got a one-time out of the blue, no strings attached donation of $10,000 and it completely transformed the organization. Um, and I can't, you know, the, at the time that donation came from uh, another nonprofit called the uh, Imperial Sovereign Court of All Connecticut, a statewide LGBTQ uh, org uh, that raises money for other orgs and gives it away similar to like a foundation, uh, although they're not considered a foundation. Um, and I, I say that as the power of transformation, you know, that $10,000 transformed the center completely. Um, and, and there were many one, five, $10 donations, $10,000 donation, right? There are many other donations that ultimately created that change, but that, that moment of having $10,000 that the board could do anything they wanted with, um, which is such a rare thing in philanthropy, um, completely transformed the org and changed the, the entire direction the organization was going. Um, you know, and, and the other thing I would say, and I think I said this to you, Lucy, when we spoke five years ago, um, the other thing that, that, you know, I was, a, I was critical of the center before I came to the center. I, I was one of the people that, that was very critical I, that I didn't feel that the center was doing the, the things that the community needed. And, um, you know, instead of complaining and, and, um, sitting by, and just letting it continue to not be what I felt like the community deserved. Um, I decided to get involved and that's how ultimately I ended up here is, you know, I, I said, you know, I'm gonna go to their gala. I wanna see you kind of a little bit more because I didn't really know a lot. And so I, I bought a ticket went to their gala and heard, oh, this is our goal. We wanna have a staff someday, we wanna do this. And so I started talking to their, I knew two of the board members and Josh uh, O'Connell was one of them. And I started chatting with them about it. And I was like, you said this, like, what is your plan? And, and I was like, well, can I challenge you on this? And like, what are you thinking about this? And, and it just kind of over time evolved because I decided to say, you know what, I don't like what, how I see this is going. I'm gonna to try to help create some change. Um, and yeah, here we are. And well, I so there are so many questions I have. And, and I also want folks who maybe aren't familiar with the center, you know, I, I said this to you while we were still off mic. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember because the center, it like is part of my life and part of my work. And I'm very lucky in that way that there are people who don't know about it or maybe who don't have a relationship with it. Um, so I wanna talk a, a little bit about the fact that you've built up these programs at the center. Um, but of course, it like we have also been through five years in which I think it's totally fair to say that LGBTQ rights, especially trans rights, you know, and, and now reproductive rights. And I just wanna name that like, reproductive rights are a trans rights issue and they are a queer rights issue, right? Um, sometimes folks, including everyone at the New York Times seems to not get that right. <laughs> but, uh, but I want to talk about how you have grown programs and, and JC, feel free to jump in too, in this climate, um, 
we're, you know, we talk about how we're very blue in Connecticut. I would say we're actually maybe a little more purple. Um, but, but in Especially this climate, Fairfield. <laughs> but in this climate that, that can be extremely hostile to, and, you know, and New Haven is not exempt from that. I want to, you know, Blue Orchid, which uh, I'm currently a street or two streets away from. So Michael and Q, who are just the wonderful, wonderful owners of this delicious restaurant, Blue Orchid, they had their pride flag stolen not once, but twice this summer, right? So we are not exempt from that in New Haven either. And, and you know, we had an instance where, uh, where two trans students were targeted in the New Haven public school system. Yeah, I that's mean, right. You know, I mean, in that, you know, I think, um, and, and sorry, JC, I'm kind of dominating here. Please tell me to shut up. Um, no, but I mean, it, you know, the climate is wild. It's it's just wild. It's it's really wild, and it's wild from a, a, a bunch of different perspectives. So first and foremost, it's wild because um, you know there are still politicians all over the United States, including in the state of Connecticut, right. whether they're elected officials or people put into positions like board of eds, where they're actively trying to legalize taking away the rights of the community. Period. You can't argue with me about that. It's literally happening in every part of the country, and it's happening here in Connecticut. You know, multiple school systems in Connecticut. The, in Fairfield County, they're trying to ban um, GSAs and alliances. They're trying to, you know, there's there's a new pack in Connecticut that has three principles: ban critical race theory, ban trans people from sports, and undo marriage equality in the state of Connecticut. That's their only three goals, and they're only funding candidates willing to say that they will do one or more of those things. And they have given away millions of dollars, so people are saying that, right? So. Um, so that's one, right? Like we're, we are living in a world where, where there are members of both elected officials and non-elected positions actively trying to legally take away the rights of people to live. Um, so that's one piece. Two, we're living in a, in a renaissance of racial justice, right? And racial justice is a major queer issue. There is extensive racism within the queer community. Some of it perpetuated to the queer community by colonialism, white supremacy, all of those things. But some of it is willful ignorance. Our community not willing to tackle the fact that we have racism in our community, that we um, sexualize certain racial minorities into certain boxes, that we like to, um, you know, uh, perpetuate the same exact um, heteronormative um, white supremacist behaviors that the straight community has within our own community and try to apply, you know, force that on our own community in ways that is detrimental from a sexism perspective, but also extraordinarily detrimental from a racism perspective, right? And so, so we're going through that renaissance as a world, as the United States, as people outside the United States. Um, and that same reconciliation is having to happen in the queer community, finally, thankfully. Um, and, and, you know, I, I hope to think that the New Haven Pride Center is a uh, a comrade co-conspirator in the trenches in that work as much as we possibly can be um, and supporting straight communities going through that renaissance just as much as we are um, looking in, inside our own house and closets to make sure that we're not perpetuating the same behavior. But then we're also living in this in this kind of very kind of radical period in, in American existence. Um, <clears throat> from a variety of perspectives and all of that comes back and reflects back onto our community. Um, you know, the, 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 rea the radical reality of um, the, the removal of 
protections of reproductive rights, the, the, the radical attack on voting rights, the, the, the radical attack on uh, immigration. And, um, you know, I would even say religious freedom, not religious freedom in the way they all want to talk about it, but the way that they're using their religious freedom, in quote, to suppress other religions, but also to, to when, when they say religious freedom, they're not talking about religious freedom, they're talking about um, Christian very specific segments of Christian belief. They're not even talking about a whole faith. So I, I, it's just a very fascinating time to do any work. I think I, I don't I don't I don't excuse, you know, yeah, social services and, and justice work is is hard in, in this kind of climate, but it's just as hard to put on a play. It's just as hard to um, you know, create art. It's just as hard to teach. It's just as hard to do any to to be a librarian, you know, we have in Connecticut, we had a librarian get thrown under a bus by a first selectman that decided he he was the one who got to decide what books were on the shelf. Um, right. Like so it's just it's 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 wild. It's wild. Yeah. So JC, I also want to bring you into this conversation. And the next question I had actually was was about um arts and culture, because that is so much of what the Pride Center does. And um, and and JC, you are an, actually both Patrick and Juan Carlos. You're you're both artists um, yourself. Sorry, um, you, you just okay. gotta repeat a question. Somebody walks into my office and they that's okay. Um, I say hello to whoever whomever it was um, because everyone. So so one thing, Patrick, shout out to you that you have done is you've grown the staff from one person, i.e., you, to fifteen. Is that correct? I think Almost uh, with our new hire that's coming in today at four, that brings us to 14, I think. 14, okay. One more that we're hiring. So almost 15. I do reporter math, so it's almost always wrong. Um, so <laughs> so the, the question I was going to ask is both of you are artists working in different media. And, you know, JC, you're coming partly from an activist background and an advocacy background. Um, but also from an arts background. And I'm wondering if you, and then Patrick, I'll have you jump in as well, can talk about the role that the arts play in making sure that the New Haven Pride Center is welcoming many, many different communities that maybe are living a little bit in their own silos. Because I know that one thing that has been so important to the center's mission, including in a global pandemic, when a lot of this work was happening online, um, is, is making sure everyone who lives under the LGBTQ plus, and Patrick, I know you have the long acronym and I don't have it in front of me, umbrella feels welcome to come to the Pride Center just as they are. Yeah, um, so I think like for me, the arts are, is an easy way to like transcend any, bar any barrier that we may have, right? Um, and sometimes like we know what we're experiencing, but we don't have the correct language or it feels like we don't have the correct language to share what we, ex we experience or how to explain it to people. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, and sorry, I'm a little distracted. There's a lot <laughs> happening around me, so I'm super distracted right now. Don't apologize. I have ADHD, so the second anything happens around me, I'm I'm off. Like, um, <laughs> um, so you know, I think that what happens in art, like, we are able to transcend those barriers and and find ways to express our stories, uh, and we don't worry about having the right words or the right language. Right. The reality is that sometimes we live in a time where because there's so much going on. Uh, we feel like we have to have the right words or the or the right key phrases or the 
or the or, or the right way of seeing things. And you know, sort of similar to the conversation that we were having earlier, a lot of these movements that are happening, the powers that be in those movements don't often include LGBTQ for people, right? We're often sort of the afterthought or the badge that they wear after they have been called out by some of us who are like, wait, what about queer people? So, uh, you know, art allows us to show up in those in our, in our spaces and tell our stories, uh, tell our intersectionality without worrying about any of the containers that have been put by other people who, who invite us to those conversations later. We get to create our own table and share, you know, those issues, those issues. And I just want to kind of add a little bit also to the conversation that we were talking about earlier about the programming that we do at the center. You know, we are very, um, we're really focused about bringing in the conversations that are happening nationwide and statewide around other topics that don't necessarily connect or people don't necessarily connect them to queer issues like immigration and reproductive rights because these issues affect queer people right so as the center as the last line as i like to think of, of us as the last line of defense for many queer people in in our state we have to force a way into those conversations and push in and be like, no, no, you should be including, including us. And it's awful that we have to do it. It doesn't feel great, but like we are gonna do it and we're gonna push through it. So I think that's what we're so intentional about sort of when you look at our programming, because I think sometimes people look at our programming and they're like, wait, why is an LGBTQ center having a conversation about immigration? Or why is the New Haven Pride Center having a conversation in Spanish with international like, uh, trans folks all over the world about immigration and migration or or climate we've had conversations about climate change and things like that and it's like all of these issues affect queer people and like we really have to allow ourselves to see ourselves in these movements so that then we can bring the expertise and how it impacts us uh, and bring that forward so that's that's why i see it and and i will say so i kind of want to put both of you on the spot and ask you know, if you have some programs of what, and maybe this is every program of which you're particularly proud, but also some programs that you really want to, to be bringing into the center that maybe have not yet been at, at the center. Because I know, you know, Juan Carlos, as you were talking, like one of the programs that was at the center, sorry for all the noise in the background, <laughs> that, that I was so excited to see earlier this week was on um, queer folks and disability justice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hell yes, yes. This is, um, you know, I think our often, and Patrick, we've talked about this, um, disabled folks or, or folks with disabilities um, like folks who identify as, as queer are in every single segment of society and sort of everything that we know about white supremacy also applies, <laughs> applies to, you know, physical and, and developmental disabilities. So, so people living at um, multiple oppressed, uh, multiple, the intersection of multiple oppressed identities or, or historically marginalized identities are going to be more sidelined by society. And, and we see that with folks who are disabled and we see that with folks who are queer. And when they're living at the intersection of that, plus they may be experiencing being a black person in America. They may be experiencing being a trans person and all, all of those things, right? Um, and so I was so excited to see this conversation, but also because there's been a conversation in the city's board of alders that unfortunately has kind of stayed in the city's board of alders about 
do we, how do we want to use person first language in, uh, in this city, which is great. I think it's great that it's in the board of alders, but like, how is it getting into our workplaces and into our classrooms and into our newsrooms? Right. Um, and, and so with that, that was a big tangent, (laughs) Um, but, but with that, you know, what are some programs that you're really proud to say, we have been the home base for this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just a quick plug, that conversation is available on our social media. So if you go on YouTube yes. and search New Haven Pride Center, you can see the full conversation. Um, and I, re- I highly recommend that everybody watches it. It was a beautiful conversation, lots of learning stuff. I learned a lot, um, and I'm sure people will learn a lot as well. Um, in terms of some of the programming that I personally have been really proud of, uh, you know, I love that we have been doing a lot of, of, of uh, talks around immigration and reproductive justice. Like obviously I come from, I, I had a career working for Planned Parenthood and um, you know, and reproductive justice is really close to my heart. Being a Puerto Rican, you know, this masterization of my people is something that impacts and I think about every day. Uh, so that's very close to my heart. So having that conversation and including uh, LGBTQ folks in that conversation because we're often like forget about it, right? And, and talk about uh, reproductive uh, healthcare as a woman's uh, issue from the perspective of white feminism that often excludes um, LGBTQ folks, right? And those two things can exist. Like we can still call it a woman's issue and that doesn't erase the fact that it's also an all people who can get pregnant. Uh, you know, um, it, it both can exist um, as we so, so brilliantly saw when um, What's His Face got dragged by um, the professor um, during the, the hearings. Where we were oh, hearing. Josh Hawley. Yeah, yes. She's, she is my hero. Um, you will too. probably never hear this episode, but if you are right. out there, um, <laughs> yeah. thank you. E- like, email me. Yeah. I'd like to be your friend. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, for me also, like I, we recently about, uh, I think almost a month ago, did a conversation about being Puerto Rican and queer. Um, for me, that was, that was like really cool. Cause I got to sit down and talk to a whole bunch of Puerto Ricans, some in New Haven, some in Chicago, some in the archipelago in Puerto Rico, like, and just has this really like, frank no holds bar conversation about what it means to be puerto rican and queer the beautiful things that you get and the not so beautiful things that happen you know um so having that conversation and that's a cool thing about this job is that i we get to design conversations that sometimes is really personal because the work that we do here also impacts us in a personal level and that's why we like put pour so much of ourselves into it because it's also affecting our lives like during that panel somebody asked me like uh, what did you become a, 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 an organizer? And I was like, well, I don't think I ever had a choice. I don't think at any point in my life that I think, mm, I think I'm going to become an organizer and fight for my rights. I literally think it was like, oh, no, no, no. I need to do this and I need to fight for, for, for my rights. So anyways, that conversation yeah. was something that is like, has really also changed the perspective of like where I'm thinking my own like art is going, but also my own organizing. I've been in talks with people about starting a queer and Puerto Rican organizing uh, group to start fighting for some of some of those sort of things that impact us specifically as queer Puerto Ricans. So you'll you'll hear more about that soon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, what about you? And I I just want to shout out that. So I have many favorite things that y'all have done, but it was beautiful watching. uh, So earlier this spring, sorry for whatever's going on in the background, but, um, but it, it was really beautiful earlier this year, this spring, 
to see the New Haven Pride Center fill the gap. So last year, as many people listening may know, True Colors sort of shut down, just closed its door. And I think that was early 2021, if I'm not mistaken, Patrick. And the Pride Center said, okay, how are we going to step in and fill this gap? And you did. And to see um, the number of young people who were at this conference that just said, hey, you can show up and be a young queer person and show up completely as you are was really beautiful. And the number of, of kids I talked to. So that's one of my all-time favorite things that that y'all have done. And, and Patrick, I'd love to know some of yours. Well, so plug for anybody listening who has extra money to be able to continue doing the conference, we need to raise $150,000 more every year. So please feel free to give us money. Um, but no, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like trying to choose um, from your children, which one is your favorite? And you, you, you secretly know you have a couple favorites, but, but no, I mean, things that, I, I, what I'll say is I, instead of saying things that I, I um, think are my favorites, what I'll say is some things that I think I'm very proud of, like moments that I think really showed something special. So um, one of the first one, ones that comes to mind, which is actually very similar except not, and I don't want to equate them as being the same thing, um, to what you just shared, Lucy, which is um, uh, last year um, in, in the spring, we did a panel on the intersectionality of, of uh, being queer and living with autism. And it was it, the only time, I won't say first, but the only time I've ever seen that kind of a conversation happen um, that wasn't something I did. That wasn't something one cars. It actually Maya Leonardo, who unfortunately um, passed away last year, uh, was the creator, curator, um, beginning to end passion project person behind that. Um, so I, I think that was a, a huge highlight. Um, I think you know we um, were the first queer organization to provide ASL interpreting for some of our programs. Uh, we unfortunately haven't been able to do a lot of that this year, um, but we're hoping to get back into it. It's just the cost is so exuberant and there's very little grant funding, unfortunately, for ASL accessibility. Um, but we were one of the first ones that did that and that has turned into now many other queer orgs and prides around the state uh, incorporating ASL into components of their work. Um, so I think that was, that, uh, you know, anytime we've ever done anything around racial justice, um, you know, I think back to very early in the pandemic, we did a, um, a conversation, I believe it was called Racism in the Queer Community. And it, it was a Zoom. It was one of the few that we did on Zoom. Um, but it, there was, you know, I think there was nine speakers um, and we had, we had people from many, many different parts of the queer community and many different parts of the non-white parts of the community. Um, and had a, what I would think is one of the first really comprehensive racial justice conversations about queerness that had happened in a very long time in our community. Um, you know, it wasn't the first by any means. There's a plenty that um, these conversations have, but it, it was a pivotal moment for us as an organization because that was when we really put the stake in the ground. And we still get flack on like YouTube where people will find that video and like, like oh, rah, 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 white lives matter. Rah, 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 rah. Um, and, and, the, and it goes to show the power of that conversation still resonating two years later. Um, and so, so, and that really kicked off a whole series of programming for us, um, most notably 
the Days of Action, which have been incredible programs um, that often center racial justice as either the main or secondary component of the, the topic. So things like that, you know, opening the art gallery for the first time, um, which not only transformed our space into a community space that people could come in and experience art, but also became a healing um, space for community, but also the staff. I mean, there was uh, an exhibit um, at the end of last year, kind of going into the beginning of this year, um, all the paintings were inspired by um, religious iconography and symbolism. There was a lot of um, non-Christian symbolism. There was a lot of, you know, um, non-binary identity being represented. And, and every time I, I walked into our, our great room, which is in the middle of our office, um, it brought me a little piece of peace, um, even on this most stressful day. So not only is it great and healing for the community that come into our space to experience their, their identities painted on canvas uh, or put into sculpture, but it also is, is healing for us as a staff. And, and you know, the reality is this work is extremely stressful. Um, and, and so having that, you know, that's something that I think is very special that we have. Um, so things like that are, are, are things that, you know, I, again, I don't want to say they're my favorites, but they are, they are moments that, um, to me, remind me why this work is, is so important in my life and why I have to keep doing this work. Because what, when the, those things happen, when those moments happen that are so magical to use kind of one Carlos's um, term is really, it, it, it's, re-energizing, reinvigorating, and, and also brings someone new uh, into the fold in a way that, you know, um, I think, unfortunately, so many feel excommunicated from the queer community, from the queer experience, because of desire for heteronormativity, desire to, you know, fit in, desire to, um, you know, go stealth with the straight community. And, and unfortunately for a lot of people, that means that they get left out um, because then ultimately all we create is uh, these spaces that center a very specific part of the community. So, so those so, are the, the, what I would say are my favorites. <laughs> also, um, really quick, uh, I also want to give a shout out to the programming that also happens here that is um, focused a little bit more about giving people the opportunity to do things that like, when you think when you mm -hmm. think about folks who are either starting to transition or folks that because living an open and affirming life sometimes it makes it really hard for them to go into spaces uh like like a figure a transfigured drawing class um our writing and art intensives right like these are things that queer people want access to but sometimes going into these spaces doesn't feel safe or comfortable right sometimes we like focus our programming like when people talk about programming they think like a conversation is the only form of programming but also like all of these social spaces that we have been creating to allow folks to have those experiences and explore themselves in different ways right like so you don't think like I didn't really fully think of myself as an artist till I was in like my late 20s and then I was like oh yeah I'm an artist so like seeing some of those folks walk into our spaces uh, some of our aging popular population coming into our spaces and participating like in the transfigured drawing classes and the be gay and do crafts uh, stuff that uh, programming that we have and just our affinity spaces like seeing them come into our space and be there that's that's also like amazing uh, things that we do as well because it's so well, non-traditional you know and and the other thing is you know all of our social services are also programming right I mean right. the addition of having case management and 
And for the center to be in a position where Juan Carlos and Freddie, who is our other um, case manager at the center, you know, the work that they do in their office and the, the, the way in which we can have the opportunity to help transform um, where someone might be in their life mm -hmm. um, and, and open doors to someone who thought they never could even touch the doorknob handle. It's, it, 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 you know, those are, that's programming, right? Advocacy, when one of us is yelling at someone at, at the state, federal, city, you know, <laughs> press, wherever, whoever we're yelling at, that's programming, right? Like, you know, the fact that I've spent 80 hours in the last three weeks in meetings and Zooms, yelling at people, arguing with people about monkeypox, that is programming, um, you know, and, and the way in which we, uplift youth and and give them space where they can lead what's going to happen in their in their programmatic experience at the center that is programming and so you know everything is programming yeah and so i i want to ask both of you because i think this actually dovetails with uh the question i was going to ask which is you know as you continue to evolve what are you hopeful to see but i i think you know one of the things i want to ask you is um we as a, as a state fund things uh, overwhelmingly by line items. That's how a lot of organizations, which is a really like weird, antiquated, I don't think it works um, method of funding. And then at the same time, the, the Pride Center for, so for folks who know it, I'm so glad that you do know the New Haven Pride Center and that you are part of this big, beautiful family. But for folks who don't know it, y'all are in a basement you are, and it's 14 people trying to work in a basement. And, um, and I recently is, moved my office into a closet to make more room for other people. And, and it feels, um, to me, there, there is like a metaphor that feels really upsetting and really uncomfortable there too, right? About the queer folks being forced to work out of the, like, there's something, uh, Harry Potter-like there where you well, we're, we're going to honor Harry and not honor JK Rowling in this space. Like we can still have Harry Potter. I believe that. Um, I believe that we can still have the magic of Harry Potter and just, I don't know, divorce it from its, its author. Um, but, but there's something about that. And one thing that I've heard, not only from people within the pride center, but from other folks who are queer, who are doing some of this advocacy and activism work is I want to see a space where the Pride Center can exist, um, you know, and, and really like feel like it's living up to its full potential without being without the ED having to work out of a closet. So, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what are some of the things that you would really like to see from, you know, on a municipal state, maybe even federal level when it comes to support of the Pride Center, because I think that we are in this era where um, people with a maybe a, with a D next to their name on the ballot are pretty loud about their support of LGBTQ rights a lot of the time, but then maybe the money isn't there. Oh. Well, let me answer the first part of your question first because it's the easiest part, which is that what are things that we dream about that we don't have yet? Um, one one thing that is on my mind, and and actually I've, I've been chatting with um, Finn Lockwood, who is our trans program curator um, and, and a fabulous, amazing uh, person on many different levels. Um, they and I share a um, passion for 
supporting queer-owned businesses and queer small businesses in particular. And so one of the things that I'm very excited and hopeful about and actually have a little bit of a commitment, not necessarily money, but support commitment from, from our friends at DECD is small business incubation um, at space within the center um, where you know we could offer up our great room to a business that doesn't have a brick and mortar um, to come and run their business out of our center for two days um, and not not necessarily charge them anything not you know it's about like giving them the opportunity to decide like do I want brick and mortar right like because that's a huge risk and and that feeds into your second part of your question the biggest challenge that I have um, uh, is that I find well first of all it's very expensive to move right uh, it's expensive to move. It's expensive to move if you're moving from one place to an exact perfect place. But it's even more expensive to move if you're moving from a okay space or a space that sort of works for you into a space that maybe needs renovations, walls moved, you know, like all of that stuff. But then the other challenge that we have is, is that our organization is really special. I don't say that because not other organizations are special, but we we do things differently and in lots of different ways. And that space doesn't honestly really exist unless we have an unlimited budget of cash, right? Um, you know, I found a perfect place for us. It would only cost 10 times more than what we pay in rent right now, um, right? And so it's finding a space that both has the private space for offices and the public space for programming and community, while also finding a space that fits within any kind of reasonable budget, not just for a move, which may cost $100,000, but not increasing our annual, you know, our monthly rent from less than $2,000 a month to $20,000 a month, um, which is unfortunately the case, while also then being on every bus line close to the train station, um, accessible to people who are on bikes and walking uh, in, a, in a position that's uh, conveniently located to both our clients that maybe live in Fairhaven, as well as our clients that maybe live in Dixwell, right? It's, it's a, it's finding that space is just so hard. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you can't just apartment hop as a nonprofit, you really need to move. If you're going to move, you need to stay for at least a period of time because people have to refine you and, and it's so hard. And, and, you know, I mean, just this morning I, I was on a call um, and, you know, the, the current this morning reported New Haven has like 1.8% occupancy. That's also true for business space, which means that it's driving up costs, right? A, a space. And I trust me, JT can testament to this. I've been looking at spaces for three years. It's what I do when I need a mental break at work. And you look at these places and there's places that are still available, but now cost 10 times what they cost two years ago, a year ago. Um, yeah. And we've even explored more expensive spaces, extensive spaces where we're like, okay, we can come in here, we can make this work. And we get so far. And sometimes they find out we're a queer organ, they stop calling us back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it, it's just, it's hard. It's very, very, very hard. Yeah. JC, I want to know about your like wildest dreamy dreams. Yeah, I mean, for me, I really want a space where where it feels really welcoming. I think uh, you know we have we have managed to make this space uh, very welcoming. I mean, one of the things that I hear from people that makes me very happy is that the, the space feels very welcoming and homey, uh, and and I want to keep it that way. I also do want, I mean, 
I am someone who is out proud and loud. So, um, and as an activist is, um, as someone who considers themselves an activist, it's like really hard sometimes to work in a basement because it's like, where is our flag? Where is our, we're here, we're proud, uh, you know? Uh, and, and sort of like you were saying, it, it, it feels a little bit like that, like, um, you know, a little bedroom under the, the stairs kind of thing. Uh, you know, but also like because we are such a small organization and unfortunately, you know, we as an organization are, are, are trying to build our, our institutional power when it comes to lobbying for money for us or for, for dollars from the state. Right. And sometimes when you're the new kid on the block, nobody really wants to hear you. Right. So we have to try to figure out where is more important for us to invest the little bit of dollars that we have. And that's our staff. That's our programming. Right. Uh, so, and then it sort of creates the space where they're like, okay, so now we're super stretched thin, but we don't have time to build that institutional power. Uh, so like what I, what I, what I, what I would want to see and challenge anybody listening to, to this, who is in politics, who is at the municipal level or state level is support us, right? Uh, you know, when, when just remember that the same people that you want to stand next to you, when you need a press conference to 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 certify that you're with the community like actually show up for us because though we haven't been able to tell you now yet because we haven't been able to find the time because we're so busy doesn't mean we're not going to tell you so might as well yes. just start to get it in your head that this is how this is coming um and it, avoid that conversation by supporting us now you know and another thing too is like we one of the things that i've been thinking about is getting more lgbtq folks running for office like, you know, some of the young folks that go through our prayer camp or some of our leadership uh, institutes and things like that, like planting seeds in their head that we need more queer elected officials, right? Because those are the folks who are going to fight for us. We're going to fight not only for the center, but for all of us too. Uh, so, you know, uh, my, my, my wildest dream for the center is to have this beautiful building where we are outside, where we are accessible by bus routes, by train stations, um, easily to, easy to walk with with nice parking so people don't have to worry about <laughs> the crazy parking that happens in New Haven where we have big spaces for youth to come in you know after school and it happens now right like these are things that are happening now like half of the time I have two or three youth just sitting in my office while I'm catching up on emails or something and they're just talking they're doing their thing um, you know we host other institutions in other organizations rather in our in our space like right now we have Connecticut students for a dream um, using our space to have uh, a, a staff meeting, which is really cool. And like, we want to be able to also continue to share the space um, with other with other groups. Uh, so my wildest dream is that just bigger, right? The space that we have now just bigger um, that we can, uh, we can, uh, we can host people in our community and have a bigger uh, art gallery so we can have even more artists in our art shows. Uh, and, and yeah, that's me dream. Yeah. So the as our time is winding down, um, although I we will bring back the joy before we before we finish, but I, I do want to and and feel as a reporter an obligation to talk about something that has very much been um sort of in the swirling media storm and that I, I will say maybe like how reproductive health is a, is also a queer rights issue and people have not always gotten that right. We are living through not only COVID-19 right now, but also monkeypox, and which is the worst name ever. And I, I <laughs> like the word, just my skin gets all, yeah. 
Um, so, so first of all, and I, I will say there have been calls in and also out of the state to change the name, and I wholeheartedly support those. And, and Patrick, I know you do too, and JC, I know you do too. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm wondering if we very briefly can talk about um, sort of um, pre prevention, protection, and also breaking through stigma. Um, and, and the third to me is, like I have just heard so much stigma around this. And at the same time, I would say both the CDC and the World Health Organization have completely bungled their response. So whoever wants yeah. to take it first. Yeah, so one of the things I think that like we have been working very hard at the center is to make sure that people understand that though this is a disease that's disproportionately affecting uh, queer men uh, um, and non-binary folks, MSM, uh, it, it's, not, it's not a queer, disease, right? This can affect all of us. You can get this through prolonged touch. Um, so this can, people can get it through familial contact as well. Um, you know, and, you know, and, and like you said, the, the, the response to this hasn't been great. Um, I think that the state sort of in part by Patrick's prodding and um, the LGBTQ health network has been sort of really hands-on with this and really pushing the state and representative like Jeff Curry, who have been really hands-on to push, um, you know, our own health departments here in Connecticut to have a, a more comprehensive response to what's happening and really fight back the stigma. Because I think when we first started hearing about monkeypox, it was it was in many ways in the media really labeled as a MSM disease, and there was a hint of sort of trying to phrase it as an STI, which which was going to create all sorts of issues and problems uh, down the road. Uh, the, the response has gotten a little bit better. We've had a lot of hiccups um, and we have had to had a hold a lot of people accountable um, because of those hiccups. Uh, thankfully, uh, I think that uh, I do have to say that, they, that some of these organizations have been very responsive to the feedback that we've given them, which is uh, refreshing to see because that usually doesn't, ever ha doesn't happen, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it's something that is affecting a lot of people. Actually, just to, to for a quick plug, I am talking to um, our own New Haven Health Department about doing a conversation with the health of New Haven Health Department um, through our uh, New Haven Pride Center social medias, where folks can tune in, ask questions. We can really sort of break down the stigma and all the other information. Right, I'm I'm not a medical expert, so what I know is sort of what has been shared to. Uh, via the 150 like webinars that I have gone um, to in the last like two weeks. I don't think I've ever had that many webinars back to back. I think yesterday we had like four and I was like, I can't hear the word monkeypox one more time. My head is going to explode. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know if Patrick, if you want to add um, more to it. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I, similar to JC, do not come from this from a medical perspective, because uh, I don't, that's just not what I bring. Um, I bring the community perspective. It's, it's, and that's been my role in a lot of this. Um, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, the, the state of Connecticut has a LGBTQ Health and Human Services Network, uh, one of the, one of two next such networks that were, excuse me, created in the U.S. Uh, through legislative process. Um, and and uh, I'm now a model for some other states that are trying to follow suit. Um, it, the, the network is made up of a series of individuals who include community organizers, um, you know, healthcare professionals, 
there's a queer doctor, you know, so it, it kind of a wide range uh, of folks uh, delivering services and, and particularly medical services and health, mental health services to, to queer people in Connecticut. Um, I am chair of that network. And as part of that, I've been involved in all of these conversations along with, um, I, I'd love to give a shout out to, to Anthony Chrissy from Circle Care Center and Linda Esterbrook from the Hartford Gay and Lesbian Health Collective who has been on every single call and every single press conference with me, um, but, um, but alongside other members of the network. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, been a, it's been hard. It's, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of misinformation as JC would say in the, the framing as an STI was particularly damaging. I think um, not just because of kind of health professionals doing it, but it, what it was translating into was the way to do prevention is to tell gay men and bisexual men and men who have sex with men and trans people to stop having sex. And that is not the cure to the situation. That's that that's all that's doing is stigmatizing, but also that's not doing anything to actually address what's actually happening. Yes, sexual contact is one of the many ways in which you can contract monkeypox. Um, it is one of many and maybe slightly easier just because of prolonged contact. But the reality is, is that it can be, be um, transferred many ways. And, you know, the CDC just came out the other day with a concern about what, about colleges going back because of the close quarters of people sharing space through roommates, uh, college parties, frat houses. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that unfortunately, if we don't take better action um, as a, from a public health perspective, um, you know, this is going to become a, an, another endemic thing that we all have to live with, right? Um, you know, after saying all that, I do want to just say that I appreciate um, how much, at least in Connecticut, both um, our federal reps, particularly Senator Blumenthal, which was the first senator in the U.S. to call for President Biden to make um, in a public health crisis, um, opening up funding and, and whatnot, but also, um, you know, while there have been some rough calls um, and there have been moments of raised voices on both sides, um, DPH uh, in Connecticut it is trying their best to listen to uh, folks in the community that are bringing concerns. And, and I will say that while yes, hiccups have happened, yes, some very serious hiccups have happened, Every time they've happened, they have listened and have done everything they can to fix or adjust or address whatever the issue was. Um, and, and I just want to appreciate that because I know they only hear from me when I'm angry at this point um, and often um, uh, are, are probably dreading when my email comes in. Um, but I do appreciate that they are listening and I appreciate folks like Rep. State Rep. Jeff Curry who has taken this on as, a, as a, his own project that he doesn't necessarily have to do as a state elected official yeah. um, to ensure that, that communication is happening and that, the, that frustration doesn't derail mm. and ultimately hurt the community because it could. We could get so frustrated that we just say, I'm not dealing with DPH anymore, but all that does is actually hurt the community. Whereas we can have a really hard 30 minute conversation and then walk away and fix whatever the problem is, whosever side it's on, right? Like it could be on our side too. Um, and so I just wanna say that out loud and wanna um, name that I do appreciate how much, all the way up to the commissioner, people are willing to listen 
when something has come up or when a concern is brought from either the community or directly from one of us that are that are kind of in those meetings. Yeah. So uh, if if you've been listening to us here or if you're just joining us, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. I'm Lucy Gelman, your host of Arts Respond. And today I am here with Patrick Dunn, Executive Director of the New Haven Pride Center and Juan Carlos Soto, Deputy Director of the New Haven Pride Center. They also go by the nicknames Mom and Dad, among other many other things. We're going to go a couple minutes over on Facebook. So if you're listening on the radio, hop over to Facebook and join us there. We won't go too many minutes over because I know that two that both of you are two of the busiest people in New Haven and maybe in in the whole country. But um, I, you know, I do want to ask. So so Pride is coming up. Pride New Haven is coming up. People might be listening to this and say, ah, uh-uh, Pride Month is in June. Well, we do it different here. And I'm very proud of that. I learned that when I moved to New Haven. So Patrick, the festivities begin in, can I say where? Is this public? Our location for the main event is not currently public. Okay, well, I won't say. They begin in a place with which many people may be in, intimately familiar um, that has played a role in Connecticut's history. Is that okay? That's okay. And, and cool, cool, cool. was the former home of Pride New Haven. Yes, and was the former home. Up until 2004. Yeah. So. Um, but, but the festivities kick off September, Sunday, September 11th, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And they run until, is it September 18th or 19th? This is, oh, so recorders yeah, are eight, bad at numbers. Eight so. days, 25 plus events. <laughs> which, is, which is fantastic. And so I do want to end this on a celebratory note. And I, you know, I want to ask both of you what you're really jazzed about with that, with, with Pride coming up. And also, you know, what, what is giving you joy? We're in, we're in August. I know it's hot outside, um, but, but there are joyful things happening too. Well, I'm already unmuted, so I'll go first. Uh, (laughs) I mean, what I'm always so excited about Pride New Haven is um, our ability to invest more money than any other time of year in queer artists from Connecticut. That, that to me, that's, that's what brings me joy. That's why I love Pride like producing pride is not fun is you sleep like two hours a night you smell really bad by the third day like it just you know it sucks but um but the 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 single most expensive thing of pride is how much money we directly hand artists to be on our walls perform on our stages you know whatever it is and and in the rare case that we bring in someone from outside of Connecticut, um, because we, you know, 90 plus percent of our artists are Connecticut artists. Um, We always pair them with someone local. So it's not about, um, you know, we're going to bring this RuPaul's Drag Race artist from that. No, we don't do that. Right. We, and I don't, I don't say that to be critical of people who do. It works differently in every community. In New Haven, we love celebrating New Haveners. We love celebrating Connecticut um, folks. And so, um, so that's what brings me the most joy. And you know, assuming that we hit all of our fundraising goals and we do all our planning right, this will be the, the year where we invest more than we've ever invested in artists. Um, you know, one of the things that we did this year is we're lowering the number of um, slots for some of the types of art to ensure that we can pay individual artists a higher fee. Um, you know, uh, particularly when it comes to drag artists who are often extraordinarily underpaid. Um, and so we've been kind of trying to be really thoughtful about that and creating spaces 
and continuing to push the boundaries of what it means to create spaces for queer artists. Um, so much about the expectation of pride um, can be about the expectation of family-friendly entertainment. Um, there is a place for family-friendly queer entertainment, um, and I don't want to poo-poo that idea, but pride also needs to have radical entertainment. It also needs to include music and dance and drag and art that maybe is not appropriate until you're 18, and that's okay. Um, so some of the things that we're doing that we did last year, um, we're bringing back Drag on the Edge, which is a fabulous celebration of um, queer drag art in every form from um, it's, well, I won't say it's messiest because we're not allowing them to build, make messes, but um, I do know one of them asked me today if she can use um, one of those things where you, you put it on your body and it spews sparks. Uh, and if you miss, you cut yourself in half. Um, so it, it, it is on the edge, you know, and, and uh, we're also going to be doing um, some performances utilizing our incredible burlesque community this year and having a dedicated burlesque component of pride. And so just as much as we're going to celebrate the, the, the family-friendly entertainment, we're also going to create uniquely queer radical space uh, where we can do that um, and, and really celebrate with different types of art, um, including the quote-unquote underground art. Awesome. <laughs> JC, what's giving you joy? I feel like I can't talk about half of the things that I am really excited about because Patrick will run over and just like unplug my computer. You, um, you can talk about them, just don't say names. Oh, yeah, just be like, there's a thing in a place and it's cool. Yeah, I'm excited about the like thing you in can a place. talk about your keynote, just don't say who's doing it. <laughs> I'm really, I am really, really excited about uh, our our keynote that we're having. Um, I, someone who I look up to, so I'm very excited to be able to have a conversation with them and um, just hear everything that's going on in, the, in that place over there. Uh, <laughs> I have to be really big, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited about the Drag on the Edge event. I mean, it's always one of my favorites because I think like we've gotten into this place where we think about drag being very commercial. So I like to see the other facets of drags, right? Like I was talking to a friend recently and I was like, I want to kind of move from that space where like drag is like this like cookie cutter, like RuPaul, like sort of look to the other, like, because the, the, the art of drag is so expensive, right? And like, I think the, ma the mass population has like forgotten about that and how drag is supposed to be radical and political and in your faith and all those amazing things. So I am excited about that. I'm excited about our location this year. I'm really, really excited about our location this year. I really advocated really, 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 really hard for our location. So I'm glad um, uh, that happened and that we are taking this immensely crazy challenge of, of, of our location this year. Uh, and um, you know what? I actually like this hot weather. I know that that's an unpopular opinion. I am Caribbean. This feels like home. So this weather brings me joy. I love the sun and the heat. So uh, I am I am digging it. This 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 whole weather is making me really happy. I know for most people it's not, but for me it's making me very very happy. I'm uh, I don't think that I've talked to a lot of people who really love the hot weather. I will say I um I don't love it because it's all the sweat. <laughs> it's like it's the boob sweat and the back sweat and the butt sweat and all all the sweat in between, right? Um, however, 
being an arts reporter in the summer, like there's nothing better, especially because of COVID-19. And I'm sure that y'all have seen this with, um, with just activities and affinity groups and support groups at the center. Um, when people don't have to just be indoors, which I think we will see more of, you know, as the temperatures yeah. get colder, it's really exciting. Like it, it's exciting to see kids just joyfully doing stuff outside, you know, big shout out to everyone who's been leading summer camps this year, including black and brown queer camp, which hit its five year mark, which is yep. sort of amazing to, to think about earlier this summer, I yeah. believe in June at the end of June. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Patrick, Patrick Dunn and Juan Carlos Soto or mom and dad. Um, <laughs> I want to, I want to just thank both of you so much for joining me today to talk about the new Haven pride centers work in, in New Haven, in Connecticut, um, I, I think in a lot of ways, y'all are a model for the rest of the country too. I'm not afraid to say that. Um, we could speak for four hours and not be done, but I know that you have things to do on this busy Friday afternoon. So I will let you go. If you're listening to this and you know about the Pride Center already, great. Um, if you're listening to this and you have anything from two to five to 10 bucks to, I don't know, $10,000, billion. $43 billion. Uh, if you live and work inside a certain bouncy castle that might be in the middle of New Haven, and you think that they could throw some money the New Haven Pride Center's way, um, that would be great. If you don't know about the New Haven Pride Center, you can find them a lot of different ways. You can find them at newhavenpridecenter.org. That is their website. You can, can find them. something really quick? Yes, of course you can. On Monday, if you go to our website, you will find a new website. We're launching our what? new website over the weekend. This uh, is so, so exciting. If you go to our website right now, I apologize. It is ugly and out of date. Fake <laughs> uh, news. But if you go it's, to our, our website on Monday, Aaron on our team has been working so hard over the last two months to like completely redesign our website. So our new website will be live sometime on Monday morning. So it's very awesome. pretty. Shout out Aaron Elber. Um, Thank you so much, Aaron, for, for that. It, same URL? Yep. Okay, so still, still newhavenpridecenter.org. If you're not a website kind of person, but you're an Instagram kind of person, it's at New Haven Pride Center. There's a theme here. Um, if you're a Twitter kind of person, it's just at New Haven Pride. And you can also look for the Pride Center on Facebook. Do y'all do TikTok? We yes. have a TikTok. Um, Laura, Laura does do the TikTok. Okay, so, um, and how do I find you if I do TikTok, which I don't. New Haven Pride Center. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So there's a there's definitely a theme here. And um, we're so on YouTube different and on Twitch. The only yes. one that's different on is, tw is Twitter because Twitter doesn't allow that many characters. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely a theme. So if you want to find out more about the very good work that the Pride Center does, including the fact that I think there's something either every day or almost every day of the week when I've been on your website and I've been like, Oh, I want to cover some things. Sometimes I just get completely overwhelmed, but like good joyously overwhelmed by how much um, you are doing. And, and I know that it is a bigger team than it was five years ago, but it's still a really small and mighty team. So shout out to everyone doing the work at the pride center. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Luke. Thank you.